I ended up in the corner of the council for a couple of nights. On the street? On, on, yes, yes. Uh, on the... By the council building. First time because there's a drunk man. I didn't feel safe. I get scared. I'm not being a victim, but for women, it's very dangerous. Very dangerous. I called the police and they came and they took him away. Then while we were sleeping, Chuck and I, I just felt someone or something kicking me a bit, and I looked and it was a huge dog without leash. Until his honor came, so also I felt unsafe. Why I should even bother to lament? Oh, oh how pathetic am I? The weight of this disaster pins me to the ground. Legs and arms sprawls in the dust. The council actually challenged me to either your dog, either stay in the street. They thought, like, I'm a refugee, and suddenly I, I just decided to buy a dog here. The lady from the council, she said, why you are you having dog here? I said, no, he's my dog. I brought him from, from back home. We reunited after three years. Taking my dog from me is like ending up my, my life. Pitched out on my back, my spine writhing one way than another. <laughs> Right, by my constant whipping. So I'm happy just to end my life if anyone just mentioned, like, I can't be with my dogs. Ah, this is the playlist of the hit shit. The songs of our joyless wars. And then they called police. Welcome to Why Am I In Your Country. This is episode four of our story. This is a podcast which tells extraordinary stories behind the refugees and asylum seekers we keep hearing about on the news. They tell us why they came to the UK, what were the appalling things that were happening in their homes and their countries that made them make this desperate journey. To try and build new lives for themselves and their families here in Britain. My name is Charlotte Eager. My name is William Sterling. For the last three episodes, we've been following Arwa, a Syrian-Palestinian actress who was forced to leave her home in Syria by the war and go to Lebanon, where she worked for six years. She was then driven out of Lebanon by the government because she was Palestinian Syrian. She returned back to Syria to discover that her, her house and her district had been totally destroyed. No houses, no facilities, no people. Her work had gone. More than that, the government were trying to pressure her as an actress to come out in favour of the regime and were threatening her. So she had to make an incredibly difficult decision to leave Syria, to leave her family, her friends, her career, and her beloved dog, Jacko. Who she'd bought in Lebanon, she said, to fill the gap, she felt, 
because she wasn't married and she didn't have children at the age of 30. She then paid as people smuggler and walked for days and days through Kurdistan, um, had to swim rivers, rode rubber dinghies. But finally, finally, she made it to the UK. And there, after 11 months, her asylum status was accepted and she became a refugee. So she began to build a new life and she uh, managed to get Jacko brought over by a charity called Warpaws. Everything was going fine. She had a part-time job in a restaurant. I work at a restaurant, but I still dream that someday Martin Scorsese would come and discover me. (laughs) She had a part-time job working as a receptionist. She was also volunteering with us on the Trojan Women Project as an actress and assistant director. And then suddenly, out of the blue, in the autumn of 2022, her landlord decided to sell the flat because apparently he needed the money. Oh, I was evicted and she found herself on the street. It was incredibly difficult to find a flat that would take her and her dog. But as Jacko was her only friend, she felt, in the UK, she couldn't give him up. She also, because of the stress of everything, lost her job while she was trying to find a new flat. It's a very different song to the one I sang. Was it only yesterday? So into the middle of this interview, we'll be dropping bits of the play, The Trojan Women, that Arl played Hecuba in as part of our drama workshop project with refugees. So if you hear something that sounds a bit more poetic or like a bit of chorus, that's what it is. And also part of this interview was done in Arl's flat and part of it was done in hospital when Arl was waiting to give birth to Arthur, who was extremely reluctant to come and had kept her waiting in hospital for several days. So that's why her voice sounds a bit tinny. The council called the police. And what did the police say? To be honest, they really sympathised with me. And even the policeman, he said, you should be proud of yourself. Because he could understand, since I came to the country, 2018, I've been doing my best to have a nice life. The council had a legal obligation to house you, didn't they? Yeah, but they didn't do this because they believe I'm not priority. However, they asked me to call Streetlink. Streetlink's an organisation that tries to help homeless people. They came check on me while I was sleeping on that corner. Then they asked me to go next day for assessment and they told me they put me in a waiting list. Women of Troy, listen to me. It's better to die than to live in the misery. Sure, Dad had experienced the miseries of life. But us, the living, who had suffered, we are suffering. We have fallen from prosperity into the misery. When Alwa had been sleeping on the street for three days, she rang a British-Lebanese acquaintance of hers who rang me. And she went to stay with a friend of mine for a few days while we waited to see what Streetlink could find for her. They kept following any update of my case with the council. They pushed my case. They ended up offering me a room in St Mangos that can accept it. So you had Jacko there with you? Yes. I ended up in the hostel in Heather Green, belonged to St Mangos. And was it kind of really frightening how quickly, because you're so elegant and well-dressed normally... That, as you say, you became, you look like a homeless person. Exactly. And usually I love luxury stuff and always doing my, my home, my place as nice, you know, take care of it. 
like cozy. The always flat is really lovely. St. Mangoes. It's a rubbish room, single metal bed, but I feel safe. I just wanted to sleep. It just feels like, oh my God, there's a door. There's a ceiling. There's walls. You know, this is was my feeling. Like, thank God I can lock my door. I just wanted to feel safe again. So Arwa spent a few weeks in the St Mungo's homeless shelter. But her life was very difficult. She had no job, she had no home, she had no income. She had no family in the UK, she had no friends, she felt. She got extremely depressed. What was her future here? We are suffering unremitting heartache for what we have lost. My sister Polixena, she's dead. She is, as she never seen the light of the day. You mourn her death, but not my misery when I'm denied the greatest refuge mankind. And then, when she'd been at St Mungo's for about three or four weeks and was sitting in the garden with Jacko, into the garden walked a tall, blonde man called Jonathan. He was smoking in the garden area. Then Jacko caught sight of Jonathan, ran up to him and started playing. And then we said, hi, hi. He's a very social person, actually. And uh, you can tell he's not typical homeless as well. He's handsome and smart. And after a couple of, hi, hi, how are you? My name is this, you know, <laughs> introduction. And then we ended up have a bit um, chat. And on my birthday, 10th of December, he gave me a card. He came to the hostel in November. So, yeah. So we had a nice feeling. Oh, and Jonathan's courtship, despite their proximity very romantically proceeded at an almost Victorian pace. Jonathan was extremely depressed and he didn't, as he told me, think that a girl as beautiful as Arwa would look twice at him in his current situation. But Arwa had seen something in Jonathan and it was clear to everyone around them that the couple were falling in love. Everyone, even our caseworkers, were happy for us. They could see the changes. We both were depressed, we both were miserable, and suddenly we are shining again. And we spent the new year, the security actually bought for us a bottle of champagne. And to just like sit and talk, we felt both of us like, wow, it's really good beginning of a new year. Then he asked me out. We went for a walk first, we discussed the things. He confessed to me, we were very honest and clear about each one's circumstances. So how had um, he ended up in the homeless shelter? He lost his job during COVID. He used to work in construction in a very big recruitment company. He worked for 20 years in this industry and his dad passed away. Yeah, it's very, very difficult. Yeah. Right, so where did he take you on your first date? 13 of uh, January... We went to a restaurant, London Bridge, Mexican restaurant. Actually, he invited me again in our anniversary this month. First anniversary? Yes, we just had it on 19th because our first day, 13, but after seven days, I asked him before to go to the mosque and do like God blessing marriage as a Muslim, just for my family and people, you know. Nothing legally, actually. It's just like I wanted blessing from God. 
Oh, well, it is muslin, but she doesn't wear a hijab and she definitely yeah. drinks the old glass of champagne because yeah. I've seen her. Um, we happy also to, to go to church and do the same ceremony. So we both are very open-minded to each religion. How long was it before you knew Jonathan that you realised that you were falling in love with him? That I he think was we are smart you? enough to like each other straight away. We have lots of things in common. He's smart, he's funny, and I loved the, the idea that he noted details. And that made me really laugh. He's really smart. We like each other like straight away, but we didn't tell each other this. Me, I, I wasn't sure that he likes me, to be honest, because I look miserable. I mean, yeah, always a prize. So, um, first day, it was 13th of January. We went to the mosque, 19th of January. And we are together since. He just w wanted to date like everyone normal and take time to know each other. But then I told him, like, I'm 37 years old and I had experiences before. And I never ask this. But in this point where I'm very vulnerable, where I want to God bless, I need God bless. And I want to do the thing that I do believe for the first time, it's right to do it in halal way. So I said, if really you like me, because I like you, would you accept to go to the mosque and go just to the ceremony? And there's no any obligation legally for you. That make him actually feel relief. Like, it's not like I have any another goals because it's not legal. Just like going there, having acceptness, that's it. So which mosque did you go to? Shepherd's Bush, which is, uh, ironically, now we live next to it. <laughs> <laughs> the imam asked him, do you accept her as wife? And Jonathan said yes. Well, at first he needed to tell the imam that he believed there's no God, only God, and that Prophet Muhammad is a prophet. And I told Jonathan this before. He said, this is what I believe. Like, there's a God, and Prophet Muhammad is a prophet. I said, perfect. So the imam teach him to say it in Arabic. He was really nervous. And then he asked him to accept Arwa Omarin as your wife. He said, yes, I accept it. And then he asked me, do you accept him as your husband? I said, yes, I accept. Then usually, in our tradition, we ask for money. Then the imam, he told me, how much money do you want from Jonathan? I said, what? I, I, I didn't think about it. And then the imam said, 1,000? Shall I put 1,000 pound? I said, no, put one pound. He said, really? I said, yeah. And then he said, all right, so you owe Arwa one pound. And then when we finished, went out of the mosque, and Jonathan, he just opened his wallet and gave me one pound. I said, <laughs> that was funny. This is my family tradition. We never ask for money. My dad says my my daughter's not like as or stuff for selling. They are not material. As long as they are in love with good people, that's it. So I just followed my family. 
And so what did the imam say when you went to him in the first place? Was he surprised or was he happy? He was happy, someone Christian who came and married in Islam way and Muslim woman, especially like me, I'm single here. I don't have any family. So easy for me to just have sex. Mm. They were happy that I did it in right way. Do you think that what you've been through over the last 10 years has made you more religious? Because I know that you said that sort of destiny and God brought you to Jonathan. Not religious. I had experience before. I used to live with my ex. I had British boyfriend before. And even the Syrian guys were open-minded and we never think about, you know, halal ways or whatever. Mm. Because you're an actress, you're it's in a more intellectual bohemian world. It's less traditional. Exactly. No one cares if you are virgin or not. But I think because I was very vulnerable at this time, plus I promised God when I was trying to bring Chaco, everyone told me, no way, because UK as a country, they have probably the most strict role in terms of bits coming from Middle East. So it would be a miracle to bring him here. And I decided to pray every day to God, and I promised him, if he brought Chaco, I'll be a good girl. And he brought Chaco to me. Second, because all my relationships failed, I just said, let's try new things. Let's try to start pulling my culture. And I think so far, the thing is working. So shortly after Jonathan and Awa started going out with each other and they're blessing the mosque, Jonathan was off to the studio flat. And so he moved out of the hostel and into that. And then not long afterwards, Awa's caseworker at St Mungo's, Gladys, told her that She'd been offered a one-bedroom housing association flat in Shepherd's Bush. I want to say thank you, Gladys, wherever you are. And I love you because she's a woman who could feel my pain. This is why I have this flat. This is why I feel safe now because of Gladys. And so the couple with Jacko moved into a one-bedroom flat in Shepherd's Bush. It wasn't large. It was on the third floor. But Awa made it beautiful and some Syrian friends wallpapered it for free. And Awa even bought Jonathan a piano, which they managed to get upstairs and squeeze into the sitting room. And then I discover I'm pregnant straight away. <laughs> you knew you look wonderful. Blooming. So when did Jonathan get his job and what is his job? Right. Since we, we get a new chance for a nice life, and uh, he felt he want to be responsible again, independent, he applied for many of jobs and they offer him one in big yellow companies as sales advisor in storage companies. I know the big yellow storage. I had some stuff there myself for a bit. Yeah, he's doing great. And how, how, how old is Jonathan? Jonathan, he's 40 now. He's 40. Yeah. He's older than me, three years. And did he go to university? He studied actually at college, IT. He's really smart. So when you meet somebody in a homeless shelter, aren't you worried that there might be problems or drugs or crime or something like that behind them being there? Or did you understand, because of your situation, that anybody can become homeless if they're unlucky? Exactly. Even drugs users, I do believe the system failed them. I, I, I wasn't scared. I felt really safe in the shelter. At least after a couple of days, I realised, like, there's security, there's stuff, and even the people, the homeless is there, they are nice people, just have bad path. They used to have stereotype of homelessness, like those people who doesn't want to work, who are lazy, who just want to use drugs. And then I realised 
those people like me who's been out of the blue under very strange and unique circumstances but no one helped them. Jonathan and I, we both support each other. Your tragedy is the same as ours. When you weep at your misfortune, you remind us of ours. What do you want from your life with Jonathan? I just want us be happy, independent, creative, do lots of stuff, useful stuff, help ourselves and help other. And that's it. Do you want to carry on acting? Yes, for sure. I, I, I don't want to give up my career, for sure. Now I'm in love. Pregnant, obviously, <laughs> and engaged to Jonathan. Lived with him in Shepherd's Bush with my jug. But still, I'm waiting for Martin Scorsese to discover me. <laughs> so will you be looking for a job once you've had the baby? I want to take time with the baby. If I can find a part-time job, for sure. I can't just stay at home, do nothing. But um, I'll try to write a book while I'm with the baby. I'm trying to write my story and Jonathan's story as well. It's a love story. What's so lovely about your and Jonathan's story is that you were both at this worst point in your lives and yet you came together and rescued each other. Yeah. This is why uh, I feel like it's worth it for all of this homelessness stuff happened. I realised like all of this happened just to meet Jonathan and Jonathan meet me. Otherwise, I, in a million years, I won't meet him. He's from Kingston, um, in Ealing, have absolutely different life. And what is it that you like doing together? What do you have in common that is so wonderful? We like to laugh. We're both crazy. We joke a lot. And we love food, both of us. I used to be a bit stubborn, and, you know, and he used to be also stubborn. No one ever controlled me. No one ever controlled him. But I think of our relationship make both of us more flexible. So now we both like, you know, whatever you want, whatever you want. Let's discuss this. Let's, especially when I discover I'm pregnant, we both stop thinking of ourselves only. Now, everything we discuss or decide or whatever decision, we involve the baby. Baby so now Arthur. We are dad and mom. Do you get on with Jonathan? Does Jonathan have brothers and sisters? Yeah, Jonathan, he had a brother and he had another half a brother, half sister. They are nice family, especially his mom. She's such a lovely lady. I knew he had very good relationship with his mom and something we admire. So I feel like, yeah, this is the one. As long as he cared of his mom, I'm sure he would care of me and the kids and my dog. Have you done video calls with your family in Syria? Yeah, but <laughs> now my family trying to learn English. But I think it's easy for Jonathan to learn Arabic. What do they yeah. think about him? He looks lovely. Very, very good man. They know, like, I'm not a kid to have silly relationship. Do you think they'll have the chance to meet him one day? Yeah, hopefully. Once I get citizenship, which is... 2024, this year, as my five mm -hmm. years will finish, so we can go to Qatar, because my sister lives in Qatar, and my brother in Germany. And you've got a sister in Cyprus as well. Yes, yes, exactly. And what about your parents? My dad, he passed away in wow. 2006 when he was 45 years old because of the cancer. And my mom, she's uh, lonely now. 
because my little sister, she's in a camp in Cyprus. Did she go on a boat to Cyprus, a, a, yes. sm- a smuggled boat? Yes, by the sea. Um, yeah, because there's, it's, uh, it's not a place that people can live anymore. Syria. Yeah. And so this is why your, people where? keep flit. Because now probably there's a, a big war in the whole yeah. region. It's the same time again. It's again and again, war again. So it's not safe anymore. And is your mother on her own in Damascus? Yes. Yes. Will she come here? My mum, because she already traumatised because she lost her sister by the sea. Just to remind listeners, Arwa's aunt drowned when she was trying to get to Italy from Egypt by boat with the people smugglers a few years ago. And so Arwa's mother since then is actually terrified of the sea and she won't go by boat and she refused to go with her daughter to Cyprus. I told her my story, not all of it, not details. Mm. But she knew, like, I felt like very bad way. And my brother before us, he went to Germany also, but by desert. He went from Sudan to Libya walking. Yeah. He had to, because there's gangs there who stole his stuff in the desert. Oh, yeah. From Libya by boat to yeah. Italy and from Italy to Germany. And of course, because you're Palestinian and you didn't have citizenship in, in Syria for three generations, Arthur will be the first generation of your family to be a citizen, won't he, when he's born? Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I mean, this is the good thing. Because but- my sister in Qatar, she's still a Palestinian refugee. And my brother in Germany, he didn't apply for a citizenship yet. He's still a Palestinian refugee, which is me and my brother considered as stateless. Mm. But Arthur will be British. I wish he would be proud of himself that he would be half Palestinian, half English. So will you go and visit your mum? Is it possible? And my mum is still in Syria, so we'll find out if it's safe so we can go visit her in Syria. Or maybe Lebanon, we'll see. You yeah. know, you see Middle East on fire. Oh, and are you going to get legally married in English law? Yeah, I think so. We would. Do, I don't know when. I'm not in rush, but yeah, at some point for sure. And with Jonathan, you're learning a very British culture because Jonathan is a very <laughs> British kind of Brit, <laughs> isn't he? Yeah, well, uh, he's English from Kingston. And, and um, when I was first started living with Jonathan, they seemed to eat nothing but pie and chips. <laughs> Fish and chips in Friday and uh, roast chicken on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, I like this. But now we settled and I cook my Mediterranean food. But we still like keep the tradition, roast chicken Sunday. He enjoy my tradition, I enjoy his traditions. What are the big differences between the Middle Eastern culture and, 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 and the British culture? I don't think there's much difference. There's stereotype more than real differences. For example, we have very close relationship with families. But I notice British people are the same. From my experience with Jonathan and my previous British boyfriend because even in middle east we have family who doesn't talk to each other for years <laughs> uh, i think the food we have differences for the cuisine for sure but it's not like that deep deep differences jonathan he's my soulmate we understand each other i think i really communicate with him much better than my arabs boyfriends and what about the differences between living here and living in the middle east I like here, you can break all the rules. There's no rules even. Yeah, I like this. You're free. You're free. Apart from the forms. (laughs) And and you have the queue. Well, that's fine. I I love this stuff where 
organize the human beings because the human beings can be wild and I do believe of Darwin we are coming from monkeys so I don't mind when there's something can organize people and can put people in line and human beings can act in very civilized way one of the Syrians that we spoke to in Scotland the Trojans project in Scotland they were saying how much they loved queues after the Syria because there were no queues in the Middle East no queues for anything it's like utterly survival of the fittest it is Darwinian so particularly like the kind of queues where you get a number <laughs> <laughs> and you wait so because you will get to the top and you are treated like everybody else yeah equality yeah, yeah. and also human rights that was the other thing they liked that we have rights in this country yeah for sure Britain is a great Britain people work hard for it and and despite what the government's done for other countries but done very well for their country which is something you can respect we need good governments where you know scared from our voices and is Jacka going to have a terrible shock when Arthur arrives? No, we talk about Arthur all the time and I always teach him where's Arthur and who would look to my Billy and sometimes I let him kiss my Billy as he's kissing Arthur. I think he, he could understand something happening. So Arwa finally went into labour the following morning, just when they were going to give up waiting and do a caesarean on her. And little Arthur was born weighing four and a half kilos. So no wonder poor Arwa had such a difficult time of it. And the doctors all told Jonathan, you have a very brave wife, which I think we all know. And a few days later, Arwa, Jonathan and little Arthur all went home to Jacko, who had now been officially registered as Arwa's therapy dog. Hi Arthur. 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 Hi it's so exciting. So, Jonathan, how does it feel to be back home with Arthur? Really, really exciting, tiring, but uh, yeah, overall we're um, we can be happy with. How's Jacko keeping? Jacko's doing well. He gets a bit jealous now and again, Aww. but uh, he loves babies, don't you? He gives him a lick now and again. <laughs> he's got his squeaky toy. You're very good for Arthur's immune system. I was doing tremendously well. Breastfeeding. Yeah. Breast absolutely exhausting. Yeah. Hospital for a week. Hospital for a week. Uh, in labour for 26 hours from uh, breaking the water to a birth. Holy smokes. Yeah. It was a long process. Yeah. And she coped with it really well, to be honest. Obviously, I've never gone through that sort of thing before. Quite stressful uh, on her body. But she got through it and... Um, yeah, relatively stress-free labour apart from being the length of the time, really. It is. Yeah, long. I mean, Jonathan, 13 months ago, could you ever have thought this would be your life now? No, no, no way. I thought the time had passed me by, to be honest. Um, I always wanted a family. And even when I met Ara, I thought, is it too late still? 
and five months after meeting her, she yeah. was pregnant. And my life had changed completely mm. as well um, through my various different issues, let's say. Mm. Yeah, couldn't be happy. Yeah. It's really brilliant. <coughs> the power of love. Yeah, no, exactly. It's very tiring, especially for Arma, because she's breastfeeding exclusively. But she knows she's coping really well, despite it being a, a new environment for us. I feel a really big sense of overall responsibility. Do you feel it in a good way? Or in, in a really good way, yeah. yeah in a way that I was hoping that I would feel. Like, this is my family now, and I, oh, I want to look after it. Mm. Oh. Yeah. So I'm going back to work tomorrow, which is good. I'm looking forward to that, actually, anyway, because yeah. I enjoy the job. They were really kind to me. They sent me a card saying that congratulations. Hello, well done. Well, look at her. She still looks beautiful. Still looks yeah. beautiful. <laughs> there, oh, well, you sit here. You can have a seat here, don't worry. I'll sit here next to okay. Jonathan. Just, Jonathan, my, yeah. my slipper. I just wanted to get your reactions about coming home with Arthur. Oh, wow. Well, first, my reaction when he just goes down out of the womb. That was very released moment. Because I didn't expect myself, I can do it. They scared me. He's a big boy. Yeah. And uh, open your mind for a cesarean. And they tried everything. Gel, bills, sticks. Mm -hmm. Everything. And yeah. But the, um, the minute oh. just he's been out, mm -hmm. which is, you could feel like release. It's the same one they, people keep mentioning when you have like, ah, mm. for number two. Same feeling. <laughs> this, exactly the same feeling. Like doing your nose poo. Exactly, exactly the same feeling. And it's when same you release, muscles. the same. And yeah, that was like, I'm done. I finished my duty done. And yeah, I feel like, wow, after like seven days, and especially that particular 26 hours. We've got a beautiful baby to look. Very. No, 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 no. What do you think of the name Arthur? Oh, it's an excellent both name. Both names. Arthur, Eric, Arthur Eric is a very good name. Yeah. yeah. It's my grandpa Arthur and my dad Eric. Hello, Eric. At this point, I'm now holding Arthur, staring deeply into his eyes. But Jacko has something to say. Uh, <laughs> <I'm here. laughs> Jealous. Jealous, come here. Come here. Come here. Come here. Because this is first time ever someone carry Arthur. No, your mum. Yeah, but but because he's familiar with his nanny, so he just sit down there. This is Charlotte as well. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. So is he trying to protect Arthur from me? It seems so. I don't know. Like he's even that one just. But he will get used to it because I would love like everyone just carry him a bit. Yes. Do we have some champagne? Yes. Oh, mommy. You are being recorded now, how you cry, behave, oh. <laughs> 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 I think we should yeah. taste. Yeah, taste, taste Arthur. To Arthur, Arthur, Eric, Eric. oh no. no. <laughs> cheers. 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 I'm going to stand up to Arthur. And to Arthur, 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 and to Ar
last time when you played, which one like was wow? Oh, please, Jonathan, please, please, please play something. Arthur's asleep, he may wake up. No, he's okay. He should, anyway, get used to music and stuff and theatre. He's an actor. He's the son of an actress. Can he sing as well? No. Yeah, he can, but he doesn't have the best voice, but he can at least on... Can you sing? No, I'm rubbish. I know my limits now. So, Jonathan, what are you playing and why? This is called The Show Must Go On by Queen. Because life, go, life gives you second chances. Yeah. Yeah. And ultimately, the show must go on. Yeah. Why Am I In Your Country is a Trojan Women Project production. Our story starred... Our Omarin. Jonathan Oldman, Arthur Oldman, and Jack. Produced, directed, presented, and edited by Charlotte Eager and William Sterling. Sound recordist Dave Sternpal, William Sterling, and Charlotte Eager. If you want to find out more about what we do at Trojan Women Project, go to www.trojanwomenproject.org. And you can also, if you want to, buy some of our films, which goes to support our work. Or even make a donation, which would be just as good and possibly better.